Uh, for Christmas, I got Darla an iPad, and one of our favorite things to do is we uh, will uh, we'll go with and and uh, we'll find a series that we like to watch together, and then we'll only watch it, you know, with each other. And one of the series that she got me into watching was one called Downton Abbey. I don't know how many of y'all know that. It's pretty cool. Uh, but one of the things that I thought was interesting is that there's a lot of rules. There was a lot of rules in that society. And one of the big rules was you never talk about money. Money was beneath you. You never speak it. You never talk about it. Uh, it's crass. It's, it's rude to even talk about money. And... Uh, We've kind of, in, in America today, uh, polite people don't talk about sex. In the same way that uh, these, these English people didn't, of course, they certainly never talked about sex, but uh, they, they didn't talk about money. There's a lot of things that were taboo. And what happens is, is that anything that you misuse, of course, becomes a problem. If you misuse sex, then, of course, you know, it's hard to talk about and, uh, and that's, that's what I'm here to talk about today. Uh, I, man, I tell you what, Cade gave me this I, a good month, month and a half ago, something like that, and I, uh, I've been studying it pretty solidly ever since, just to see what it is. What is it that, that God wants us to learn about sex as uh, we go through the relationships uh, series? And uh, I don't know that I've ever learned so much, you know, really digging into something as I have today. So all I'm going to do today is just share with you the things that I've found as I dug into Song of Solomon, which uh, let's, let's, let's start with that. You put that first one up there for me, Ethan. I think it's 7, 6 through 12. Ooh, let's read this. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. The stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters. Clearly, this is the, 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 the groom talking to the bride. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breasts be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth. Now, I think, uh, I forget exactly when we switch. I think it's verse 9 that we, right here that we switch where she's now speaking back to him. And the roof of your mouth like the best wine, the wine goes down smoothly. For my beloved, moving gently, the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved's and his desires for me. Hold that for a second right there. Go back to that one real quick. Now this, uh, just as kind of a side uh, thing, you could... Guys, if you ever have this, uh, if you ever feel yourself kind of uh, being pulled away from your wife or you feel a separation beginning right there, this is a really, really, really good scripture to actually confess over yourself and your marriage and her. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. My desire is for my wife. She is mine. My desire is for her. Go one more. Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. In fact, this is about what I'm going to do right after service here. Darla and I are going to Guthrie, and we'll, we'll go to the village. Let us get up the early in the vineyards. Let us see if the vine is budded, whether the grape blossoms are open, and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Now, there isn't a whole lot of uh, room for any other interpretation in that uh, this, they're seriously talking about sex. And sex isn't bad. It has everything, everything to do with God. And that's what we're going to look at right now. In fact... Religion 
may be our biggest problem in this situation, okay? Because religion gets embarrassed by this kind of scripture. Now, religion, I'm saying man's requirements. And they're saying, this is fleshly, this is earthly, this is, oh, this is below us as, as a believer. Uh, it's, it's not holy. It may as so far as to say that man and woman should not engage in sex except for procreation. Have you ever heard this before? Uh, there are some denominations that actually believe that it's only necessary to have sex. Well, that is clearly not the case. And we're going to go forward. As we go forward, we'll show that that is the case. If it was only for procreation, then why does Solomon go into such detail about how much he loves his bride? He loves her so much that he can't quit talking about her. And uh, the first thing I want to do is that to look at what holy means, okay? Because sex is holy. Sex in its correct situation is a holy thing. And I find myself speaking mostly to the young single men in this situation. Holy, it is a holy thing. And they're saying, well, how? Let's look at that for a second. If the, in the Hebrew, the word holy is kadosh, Q-A-D-O-S-H, kadosh which I don't know if I'm saying it right. I don't know anything, not much about Hebrew. But what it basically means is set apart. That's all it means. Set apart for something special. Now that is a, a tremendous hint as to how God, God looks at sex, especially for the young people who aren't married yet. You're setting it apart for someone special. That is what makes it holy. If you, in your prayer life, Strive to be holy. What are you doing? You're setting yourself apart from the, all of the things of the world to be used in a very special and holy way. And that's all that holiness is. It isn't this, oh, you know, it's not this, this really mystical, oh my goodness type of a, I, can only, I can't touch anything fleshly kind of a situation. You're just setting yourself apart to be used by God in a special way. All righty, here, let's, let's look at some more Song of Psalms. Let's go to that 4, 12 through 16. A garden enclosed is my sister. My spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spikenard, whatever that is, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. Once again, it kind of makes you blush a little bit there, you know, that he's clearly talking about. Now, what I think is interesting is this fountain thing. And you won't see the end of it. It's actually all through Scripture where he will actually equate the love and the things that you get from your spouse and, and sex as being a fountain. What is a fountain? It's refreshing and it's cool. I don't know how many times that when I was first starting out, when I was, you know, when Darla and I were about <laughs> same age as, uh, as these two in the front here, that uh, I'd come home and I was so frustrated and, I felt, and the world was beating up on me so bad. 
you know, you get home and you're not making enough money. I, at that point in time, I actually used to sell uh, vacuum cleaners door to door, which there is no worse job. Seriously, I'd rather do I'd rather do porta potties than that ever again. And uh, uh, I'd come home and she was my fountain. I'd come home and the the coolness of her and and the refreshing that I would get from her would would make the whole world go away. I'd feel like I was in an enclosed garden. So here, just uh, to see some more fountain talk here, (laughs) let's go to Proverbs 4, 15 through 19. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn it past it on, see if this is the right one. For they sleep unless they have done... I think that's the wrong one. Let me read it, Ethan, por favor. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. So clearly, we're only talking about one wife here, (laughs) and it's clearly a long-term decision because it's the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Okay, now this is a promise too, you realize, if you're an older gentleman like myself and you've been married for a very long time, uh, like myself, closing on 28 years, the scripture here actually promises that, you'll, that you can still be attracted to your mate. It, it promises that you can be satisfied, that your provision is her for the rest of your life. Now, this is not what <laughs> the world preaches. It does not say that, uh, that they're saying, well, if you get tired of somebody, well, you just grew apart. You know, let's get, now that does happen, and I'm not saying that flippantly, and it is, there are a lot of different things here, but if you ever feel like something is separating you from your wife, if something or your husband, you can actually go to the scripture and claim it over yourself. You can say, my, breast's wife, my wife's breasts satisfy me always. And I'm ever intoxicated. I'm intoxicated with her love. Now, all of you are going, woo, you know, I don't know if church is the place for this. No, this is exactly the place for this. This is building a, a godly, holy marriage means that you are set apart one to to each other. Remember earlier when Song of Psalms is saying, or Proverbs here was saying, don't let your cistern, don't let your fountain go anywhere else. It's just you two. It's all you. It's the two of you together. Now, clearly these scriptures illustrate a setting apart of the bride for her groom in marriage. And in Proverbs, you can see that it's designed to be a long-term but very enjoyable situation. All right? Now, here's, here's where I want to speak to the young men just a little bit. Uh, when we were talking, when, when we are looking in uh, where it was talking about her gardens were, were gated with walls, what they were talking about there is that, and then later in Song of Psalms, it'll talk about how her brothers protected her. And what they're doing is, is they're protecting her from anyone who isn't going to be dedicated to her and to love her throughout the rest of her life. This is why a gentleman will never try to lead a young woman who is not his wife 
into having sex with him. It is up to the gentlemen and the young men and godly young men to set themselves apart and to realize that she is set apart and holy and realize that the time and the place is not now. So because of that, you'll never, never lead or pressure anyone into a situation that is ungodly. And this is one of them. In fact, uh, I don't quote Bob Marley very often. (laughs) You wouldn't expect me to, would you? But here, listen to this. He actually shows me that he understood some stuff. You ready for this? He was credited as saying, the biggest coward of a man is to awaken the love of a woman without the intention of loving her. Okay, that, that showed that he understood the setting apart. That shows that he understood that what a, what a couple has is special and holy, a married couple, which I had no idea that he was so wise in that regard. So we can have a, a holy sex life set apart just for a married couple, and it's designed to always be, remember, intoxicating and satisfying. It's, he's made a provision for you. Now, here's a religion check for you. Are you ready for this? I like religion check. Well, I, they're kind of painful, but I'm about to do a religion check. How many husbands, don't raise your hand, <laughs> have actually asked the Holy Spirit to show them what their spouse would like on a Saturday night? Now, that Holy Spirit, you got to remember, the Holy Spirit and God, he knows your, your wife or your husband better than anybody else. How many of you have actually gone in prayer time and said, Father, show me what, uh, show me what my wife would really would be special to her tonight. You know, give me a good idea that would really curl her toes. Now, which of you, if, if you can feel yourself kind of going, do you talk to God about sex? Oh, my goodness, yes. Seriously, I mean, who would know better? And think about this for a second. If you're actually, uh, if you're humbling yourself in prayer and you're going to the Father and you're saying, I want to please my, my wife, I want to treat her like you do the church, how more scriptural can you possibly be than to say, what can I do for her? What can I, how can I make her feel good? How can I excel more? As a husband, but can you hear that 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 religion trying to say sex and prayer? No, those don't go together. So there, there was one of my religion checks right there. But <laughs> prayer is actually extraordinarily important if you're going to, you know, for a husband and wife. Uh, I was not a very mature young man when I married my wife, and I can see that I made lots of mistakes. All of us make lots of mistakes, so none of this is condemnation. All of this is going forward. All of this is how can I bless my spouse? How can I be holy until I meet my spouse? Until you meet your provision? You are set apart. So there are basically three things that, uh, that God uh, requires in relation to sex to make it godly. Now, first, it is central to the process by which a husband and wife become one flesh. Now, this one flesh thing, it's a mystery. <laughs> uh, I forget which scripture says it actually calls it that. 
uh, it's how do you become one flesh with somebody? The Holy Spirit is actually when you get married and you've set yourself apart to each other for holy purposes, he'll literally anoint you and make a melding of you together. When you have sex, it be, you become one flesh. Okay, now this, uh, you can see it in Genesis 2.24. It actually says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Okay, now here's where we run into problem with this with the world's interpretation of what sex is for. The world says that sex is just like eating. It's just like any other impulse that you have biologically. But God is saying here that you're one flesh and you're set apart and that you build together something. And that is a big distinction that we have to make. Three times in the Song of Psalms, we see the phrase, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Okay, this is another cautionary thing for all of the unmarried, whether this be, whether you've been married before, whether uh, uh, you've never been married. what it's saying, if it says something three times in the scripture and it's saying it definitively the very same way, it's like shouting as far as the Song of Solomon is concerned. And it's saying if it's not time to be sexually active, don't excite yourself in a sexual way. So in a dating situation, what this would look like is you'd go on a date and you would not get yourself into situations to where you may be tempted to get into sexual contact that is not appropriate because it's not appropriate because you're not married. Now, people often ask me, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, because I deal with a lot of teens all the time, and this is a crazy concept to the world. They're saying, wait, you're trying to tell me that I can't have sex with somebody just to see if we're sexually compatible. Well, from a fleshly standpoint, I can see how you have that perspective. But my answer is always this. If you save yourself specifically for someone, and God tells you specifically that that person is the right one, once you're married, his promises are what the Song of Solomon says. Her breasts will always satisfy All of these things are promises. So God has promised that you'll be sexually compatible. So you don't have to worry about that. Okay, then the next question is, well, how and then can we know if we would work in a marriage if we don't live together? We got to try it out. Who knows? And to them, I say this. (laughs) I say living together is very similar to practicing your skydiving when the plane is on the ground. You don't have any of the commitment level. (laughs) All right? You may be dressed the same, but it is not the same thing. When you jump out of a plane out in the air, it's dangerous. When you really seriously get married for real, it can be dangerous. All right, and that's when you mesh together. So anyway, that's two things. 
so what happens too is the the this usually this I've seen this happen frequently where uh, young couples get together and they'll say, well, you know, we're engaged to be married, and we're going to be married, and uh, you know, especially usually the girl says, well, the guy's promised that he'd marry me, so you know we might as well have sex now because you know we're as good as married. Uh, what you run into is a situation like I ran into when I was uh, I was engaged to to a girl once, and we were not Darla. It was before I met Darla, and uh, she actually stopped the wedding just two weeks ahead. You cannot tell without the commitment. You cannot tell what's going to happen until you're walking down the aisle and they pronounce you man and wife. That's why this is set apart. This is why it's important that you are holy in the way that you handle these things. So, marriages, vows, and anointings, and commitments are what make the intentions rock solid and clear. Thus saving any number of hurt feelings and bad situations. Uh you realize that all of these rules and all of these things that God has for you, they, they really sum up to, he only wants the best for you. He doesn't want anyone to take advantage of you. He doesn't want you to take advantage of anybody else. He doesn't want you to bond with someone before it's time. He doesn't want you to awaken any of these t- things until it, they can go straight together. Now, I, I have lots of teens, again, that ask me and say, well, so what if I have lots of, of sexual partners? What, does that, what difference does that make that I just get married later? Well, it's an awful lot like if you get a strip of duct tape, all right? And each time you stick the duct tape to someone, it's having sex with them. And then each time you break off with them, it's like pulling it off. And then each time you do that, pull it off. Each time you do that, you pull it off. Each time you do it. Then finally... You get to your real spouse, what happens when you stick it on there? There's no stick left, and it just kind of falls off. Now, this is not to say that the Holy Spirit can't renew the sticky, which it certainly can. He certainly can. And uh, repentance and all of these things, uh, healing of all things, whether it be emotional, whether it be uh, any of these things, you can actually go to the Father and say, I just, from now on, I'm going to do it your way, and I just ask you that as I go forward that you just renew my sticky. You know, and, and he will. I promise you that he will, and you can go forward. And then when it comes time for you to actually connect to someone, then you can really seriously bond with them. And that's kind of where melding a couple together in their youth is crucial This bonding is crucial as the world tries to pull you apart. And especially when kids come along, the world will try and pull you apart. Uh, Boy, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's a, in our marriage, we had some rough spots right after Ethan was born. And I think that that's the plan of the enemy. I think that uh, you're kind of at a low ebb energy wise. Uh, I, I talked to Greg Mann one time, those of you who know Greg Mann, and he told me he, uh, he, he owned his own business. At that point in time, he actually had ran his own business and had, I think it was three of his four kids were in diapers all at the same time, and he was a single dad. And that can cru- without, and he'll be the first to tell you without leaning on God, it would have crushed him. But now if he had 
I had Darla, and that made a tremendous difference. We leaned on each other. We were bound together. We had adhered to each other. We had become one flesh. We had bonded to the point to where we, all of these things were much easier to deal with. Now, the second reason God made sex, of course, is procreation. Now, the biggest reason why God wants couples together and to be final with each other as partners is to provide the stability for, for kids. This is not to say that single parents cannot provide stability. They can, but boy, do they need a special dispensation from God to pull it off. And I admire single parents, just like I admire Greg when he had four kids and a, in diaper, three kids in diapers and, uh, and his own business. But that is ideally the way to do it is to have two people. Because when I get frustrated, Darla takes over. When she gets frustrated, I take over. Uh, Ethan was actually a very, very easy kid to work with, but sometimes he needed mercy. So that's when his mom shows up. Sometimes he needs brutal sledgehammer honesty. And that's where I come in. And, uh, and knowing, and you need both parts. Now, you can be anointed to be both parts as a single parent. And I know many single parents that have done that. Well, so did, did I tell you that I wanted Genesis 128, Ethan? That wasn't one? Okay. This is a really obvious one. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. That's, and I believe that that's, that is a holy thing. <laughs> Bringing up the next generation. In fact, I'm very pleased with how Dylan, has, he's the next generation of ministers. And uh, the first generation was pretty good, but it looks like the second generation is, is looking even better. And that's a real testament. In fact, it's a testament to a bonding of a, of a male and um, a husband and wife to, to see it through because it wasn't easy. But look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. And that's really what he wants. Now, the third thing is, and this one is, is additionally a mystery. The third thing to do is the union of a husband and wife is designed to mirror or be a symbol of the union between Christ and his church. And you'll see this throughout the scripture all the time, where Christ is coming for a holy bride. And he means the church. He means us. And here's the interesting part. I think 1 John 4.16 was the other one, right, Ethan? This is excellent. And I had never seen this before. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now, that word right there, and we have known, that word is, in the Greek, is gnosko. <laughs> Not Tabasco, gnosko. And it, it means, of course, uh, uh, to know, to come to know, knowledge of, perceive, but it's actually a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. All right, so here, let's read this again. And so God has known and believed the love, or the, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. This is actually a, marriage is a symbol, the sexual intercourse is a symbol of the closeness that God wants, which each one of us, he wants to be intimate. He wants to know every part of us 
And he does. And we have to get to know him. The fact that this is... Can you feel how the religion's starting to go on you when you think of this in a sexual manner? Can you feel it kind of scritching on you? That's the word they used. And God wants to know you in a very intimate way. In Revelation 19.7, and I won't read this one either, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And that's us. That's his church. And his, the adhering and the one flesh and the partnership and, and the hand-in-hand of a husband and wife relationship is exactly the same as Christ is with the church. In fact, many of you guys have seen that that's our responsibility to our wives is to treat them as Christ treats the church, which is a tall order. Tall order. So there, this is the third part of all of that. So sex is holy when it's used correctly between a husband and wife within the marriage union. Now here's, here's an interest. Somebody actually asked me once, they said, uh, what are the limits on a husband and wife in a sexual relationship? If... They're married, and if they're alone, and if they're both consenting, there are no limits. Isn't that brilliant? Uh, again, can you feel the religion going, ooh, should you talk about that? Uh, don't worry about that. This is, this is a husband, this is a godly, holy, set-apart relationship that's designed to meld them together for their ministry and for their kids. But just like anything else, if it's incorrectly used or abused, it can be harmful. And here's the last thing that I want to address, and this is probably the most common thing that that I'm asked about when it comes to the teenagers and sex and that sort of thing. And they say, but if we really love each other, it can't be wrong because God is love. Okay, and that is probably the most common angle that I that I hear. Really, lots of times, most of these things are just excuses. It's a case of that. Well, we really want to sleep together. Let's find some way scriptural to where we can make it seem like it's a good idea. Uh, and I've been there. You know, I I have I have a past just like anybody else. But I was tremendously blessed that once I surrendered and 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 said, God, just do it. I don't care if I ever get married or anything like that, that I was provided with a tremendous woman of God to help me through these things. But here's the bottom line. It's actually better. Love can wait for sex. And I know you hear that all the time, but it really can. If you're a young man, you can't be sure that this woman is your wife until you are pronounced man and wife. She may intend to marry you. Things happen. If you're a young woman, uh, like Bob Marley says, there's a whole bunch of guys out there that are are willing to tell you what you want to hear just to have sex with you, and they don't want to love you. They just, no matter what they say, the only way you can be sure is after he said his vows and you're coming down the aisle. It's the only way you can know. So it's actually better... That sex is a funny thing in that it's better the more that it's anticipated 
the more that it's put off, the more it's appropriate and the less worry and fear that you have. If you have worry or fear, then you're not working in love. So sex can wait for after marriage. Love will wait. Besides, helping someone sin really isn't love, (laughs) no matter how you slice it. Uh, So there you go. That's about as far as I could boil it down right there. But those are the basic three things, the reasons why God made sex. Uh, And it is holy. It's holy, and it's wonderful, and it's fun. And just like you can tell with Solomon, uh, when, you, when you're married and have the right person, it can be eminently pleasurable and satisfying.